Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 20. Acts chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for the Spirit's help this morning as we open up this text. Father, give us wisdom and understanding to apply this to our lives, and and we ask that those who don't know you would turn to you this day. Father, help us to all leave here more faithful to you, encouraged and emboldened by, by this example we have in Scripture and by these commands and words we have in Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we are in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are on a mission. They, they are seeking to, to spread the gospel. And they enter the temple. They, they see a lame man begging for alms. And, and Peter says to him, Silver and gold I have not, but that which I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so this lame man stands up and he, he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And then Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel so they are arrested. The Sanhedrin does not want the gospel preached. And so Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin and they ask, by what name, by what authority did you do this? And, and Peter uses this again as, a, as another opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And after they do, the Sanhedrin is astonished. They're astonished at the boldness of these men who they call uneducated and and common men. These are fishermen. And so we open up the text today and we see the response of the Sanhedrin. And we're going to look at this text under several headings. The first heading is the, the irrationality of unbelief. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So Peter proclaims the gospel with clarity and boldness. And this, this boldness astonishes the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin does not respond to the gospel with faith and repentance. But Luke tells us they had nothing to say in opposition. This man who was healed was standing beside Peter and John. They, they could not deny what happened. So being left speechless... The Sanhedrin walk away. They, they go to council. They say, let us discuss this among ourselves, what we must do. And so they say in verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. So an undeniable Notable miracle has taken place. A crippled man, crippled for 40 years, is healed instantly. The Sanhedrin see this. There's nothing they can, they can say against it. What would you do in that particular situation? You, you, you see this, this man healed. You, you know that he was instantly healed. You, you see him begging at the gate all the time. And, and this man is healed instantly. And so you ask the people who healed him, by what power, by what authority did you do this? And they tell you, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the reason for this notable miracle that cannot be denied. So, so surely now the Sanhedrin is going to submit to Jesus, right? I mean, that's what we would expect. Who, who could take a man lame from birth? This man has been lame for 40 years. And instantly make him walk and leap. Which means miraculously putting muscle and strengthening his legs and his feet and his ankles. And not only that, but instantly giving him the coordination to stand up and walk, having never walked before, and not just walk, but leap. Who could do this but God? I mean, this is clearly divine healing. There is no other explanation. This is not the, the camera magic we see from faith healers today. This is clearly divine and the rulers, they knew this man because this man sat outside daily begging for alms. They would have seen him daily. They, they understood that he was always laying there. They could probably see the, the atrophy in his legs. He had no muscle. And now this man is standing before them, healed, walking, leaping, praising God. But instead of following this Jesus who healed this man, who was proclaimed to them by Peter, what do the leaders do? Well, they admit, we cannot deny what has happened, but in seven, verse 17, but in order that it may spread no farther among the people, let us warn them to speak 
no more to anyone in this name. This should make us scratch our heads. After seeing a miracle performed that only God could do and hearing that Jesus is the one who who healed this man. By the way, this is the same Jesus whom they crucified and and God resurrected. After all of this, we would expect them to trust in Jesus, to, to submit to Jesus like Peter told them to. But instead, they are discussing how they are going to stop this teaching from spreading. What does this tell us? I think this tells us a couple of things. Number one is that unbelief is irrational. And for many people, for many Christians, they have divorced logic and reasoning from, from, from faith. But these two are not enemies. We, we actually have a, a rational faith. So now logically, if God is the only one who can perform this kind of miracle and Jesus is the one who, who did this, then Jesus must be God. To to simply sweep this miracle under the rug as though it did not happen is absolute absurdity. I mean, can you imagine that? What what would be going through your head to see somebody healed miraculously right here from the teaching of a person? And then you say, let's just put an end to this teaching. Dear friends, the only logical thing to do is for them to submit to this powerful Jesus. But not only that, not only do they not believe, but now they're going to to try to stop this teaching from spreading through threats. And now logically, if, if you could not stop the teachings of Jesus by crucifying him because he wouldn't stay dead, how are you going to stop his teachings now? That his apostles are spreading it throughout all the land. You see, nothing they are doing here can be called rational. And I think this shows us that that people are not rational in their unbelief. We, We hear things like, you know, I'm a rational or a logical person. This is why I'm not a Christian. To not believe in God and not trust in Jesus is irrational in light of what has been revealed to us both in nature and in Scripture. I can remember R.C. Sproul having a, a conversation with a man. And this man said, you know, I'm not a believer anymore. And I don't remember the conversation verbatim, but I can remember R.C. Sproul walking this man through this conversation, proving to him that, that the rational, logical thing to do is to believe in God. And, and finally, he pinned this man down and said, you have a choice now. You Embrace irrationality, or you accept God. What did this man say? Fine, I'll be irrational. What does that reveal to us? He, he recognized it. He, he understood it. He, he, was, he was honest enough, but R.C. Sproul said, fine then, as long as you understand that you are rejecting Christ, not based upon reason and logic, I've done all I can for you. So this man had to walk away in his unbelief knowing that he was denying logic to maintain that position. And dear friends, I wonder if there are some here today remaining in unbelief, denying Christ, and, and you know, you know that you are rejecting reason to do so. 
Perhaps you see in the scripture the power of Jesus and you've witnessed the power of Jesus in changing the hearts of those around you. But yet in spite of all of this, you continue to resist and deny him. Don't be like the Sanhedrin whose hatred for truth caused them to irrationally reject Christ and try to, to stop his teaching. You hear about how Jesus healed people. You see it in the scripture and how he raised people from the dead and how he himself was raised from the dead. And and you see the lives of Christians around you testifying to the saving and transforming power of Jesus. Understand, dear friend, that in light of these things, the rational thing for you to do is to turn to Jesus. Perhaps you even know that you are a sinner. Because you have disobeyed God's law. And you know this makes you guilty and worthy of His judgment. And you know that you have to stand before God when you die and be judged according to His righteous standards. And because of these things, you know you need a Savior. And you know that Jesus offers you salvation this very day. The rational thing to do is to receive this salvation by trusting in Jesus, by turning from your sins at this very moment. There is no other rational decision to make. Now we know this is the rational thing to do. But yet we also know that many, like the Sanhedrin, won't do it. Why? Why do we we resist doing the, the reasonable thing? We are given the answer to this in John chapter 3, verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. The Sanhedrin rejected Christ. Not because they couldn't see His power. Not because Christianity did not make sense to them. But because they were evil. And their evil caused them to love darkness rather than light. The light would expose their evil. So they they wanted to stay away from it. This is why they are rejecting Christ. If any here are rejecting Christ, be, be honest with yourself. Are you rejecting Christ because Christianity does not make sense to you? Are you rejecting Christ because you don't see how Christ could be God? Or are you rejecting Christ because you love your sins? You don't want to give up your sins. Therefore, you hate the moral light of Scripture that exposes your sins. If you are denying Christ against all reason because you love your sins, don't act like you are rejecting Him because you can't bring yourself to believe in God. Stop lying to yourself. Admit it. Dear friends, if you admit that you have been rejecting Christ because you you love your sins, there's hope for you. Because God can change your heart so that the the sin you now love, you you will come to hate. The sin that you, that you fear losing, you, you will eventually be glad to do without. Cry out to God to change your hearts. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Turn from your sins. This powerful God can take the hardest of hearts and melt them. 
There's a second thing this account of the Sanhedrin tells us. It reveals to us that signs and miracles can't save anyone. Although we can reason with people to to show them there is a God and they have to reject reason to reject him, we must understand that we can never reason people into the kingdom. Logic and reasoning alone, facts, signs, and miracles can't save anyone. The rulers here in Acts did not follow Christ even after a notable miracle because their hearts were hardened. They loved darkness. And many people falsely say, if, if God just did something to show me he was real, oh, if he would just give me a sign, I would believe. Why did he make it so hard for us to know he, he truly exists? If, if Jesus just did something to prove that he was God, I would willingly submit to him. Nonsense. While Jesus was on earth, performing countless miracles, Wiping out the diseases and sicknesses of entire cities. What were people saying? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Show us a sign from heaven. Jesus on the cross. People say, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. We only need a sign. Just show us. And people mocked him on the cross, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. If you just do this one more sign, we will believe. And yet, what did, what did John write at the conclusion of his gospel? Now, there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Read the Gospels and consider how many things Christ did. And John said that he, he did so much more that, that, that we could not even write it down. If we, if we did, the world could not contain the books. And yet people say, Show me a sign. Jesus gave sign after sign, miracle after miracle, and yet people were still asking for a sign, ignoring every other miracle he performed. Why? Because miracles can't change hearts. Only God can. Miracles were performed by, by Jesus and then the apostles not to save souls, but to validate their ministry. Jesus claiming to be God proved his deity by all the signs and miracles he performed so that all people like the Sanhedrin could say nothing in opposition. That's what we see here. The miracles performed by Peter validated his gospel message so that nobody could deny it. Nobody could say anything in opposition to it. But even an undeniable sign could not cause the rulers to submit to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit's work and regeneration can do that. This is a reminder to us. We could show people signs and wonders all day long. But they need the gospel. 
We, we, can, we can prove that Christianity is true all day long, and we should, but, but they need the gospel because that is the only thing that is going to, to change hearts. If you answer objection after objection after objection, nothing happens. They need the gospel. But now we should point people to Scripture so that they can see all that Christ did to validate his message. But let us remember that we must proclaim the gospel because this is the message that God uses to save souls. But what happens when men reject Christ because they love their darkness? And they don't want their evil exposed by the light of the gospel. It's amazing. It's amazing how hated Christianity is around the world. Why don't you hate other religions? Because their message doesn't condemn you. But what happens when when men oppose the gospel and war against it? And this is our our second heading, the, the war against God. At this point, the rulers talk amongst themselves and determine what they need to do to stop the spread of this teaching. So after they make a decision, they call for Peter and John to to come back into the council and they're going to give them the verdict. So here is the verdict. Verse 18. They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't read that lightly. That, that, dear friends, is not a vain threat. That's not like a person in Walmart telling you, don't share the gospel here. No, these are murderous men with power and authority. Put yourself in, in Peter and John's shoes. You, you know, the, these men played a huge role in the crucifixion of Christ. And this is why Peter tells them over and over again, you crucified Jesus. You killed this man. These men have power and authority to kill. This is not a vain threat. They tell them, don't speak, don't teach, don't even, don't even speak at all. And this Man's name. So not only did they sinfully reject the gospel, refusing to repent of their sins and and turn to Jesus for salvation, but now they have literally publicly waged war against God. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples in my name. And these rulers say, don't you teach or even speak in that name. They have set themselves up in opposition to God. And they do the same in chapter 5, actually. And in chapter 5, when they, when they do this again, this time they are warned by a Pharisee to, to be careful what they are doing. So the, the apostles don't listen very well. When told not to not to speak or teach in Jesus' name. So so when we go to Acts chapter 5, they do the same thing again. They're arrested for preaching again, and they stand before the leaders again, and they preach the gospel to the leaders again. And listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 5. 
Again, he's talking to the same council. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And and what is the response? These leaders are furious. They've had enough of this. They had enough of this gospel. They had enough of calling them murderers. So what is the response? When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. These men have already warned Peter and John, don't you preach, don't you speak, don't you teach in that name. And they do it again. And the leaders are now ready to kill them. But there's a a Pharisee on the council named Gamaliel. And he warns them. Be careful what you do with these men. This is a Pharisee talking to the council about the apostles. Be careful what you do with these men. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. If this is man's doing, don't worry about it. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Gamaliel warns the Jews that if what the apostles are doing is of God and you oppose them, you are actually opposing God. But even here in chapter 4, they are already opposing God by commanding others to not speak or teach in Jesus' name. And there are several things that we should note about this opposition. Number one, we, we need to see the opposition for what it really is. This is nothing more than waging war against God. Setting themselves up against God. The Sanhedrin threatening the apostles not to speak or teach in Jesus' name is an attempt to stop, to destroy the gospel. These men are doing the devil's work. Only enemies of God who who have waged war on God try to prevent the truth of God from spreading. The apostles are fulfilling the great commission to make disciples and teach them to obey all that Jesus commands. And the Sanhedrin say, don't speak or teach in that name. They are commanded to fill the earth with Christ's teaching. And the Sanhedrin says, don't ever speak that name Again, do you see the contention here? This is not a light thing. They have set themselves up in opposition to God. And secondly, we need to be aware of this opposition today. Because once again, this is about making disciples and and teaching them to obey. We live in a country today that is also threatening us not to speak or teach in Jesus' name, which means not fulfilling the Great Commission. And you might say, wait a minute, this is America. We we don't have this here, do we? Perhaps there are businesses. Business owners, employers, managers who use their authority to say, you cannot talk about Jesus at work. No religion at work. Keep that away from here. No disciple-making. What about public schools and public universities where you can talk about Buddha and Muhammad 
And you can have a Muslim day. But keep the teachings of Jesus away. And even in politics, there is this, there is this ever-increasing pressure to divorce politics from religion, specifically the teachings of Jesus. Wait a minute, guys. We're in a, we're in a political setting here. We have to keep Jesus out of this. That's opposition to God. And I think these things are obvious today. But there's another way that opposition to God is, is manifested that, that I think is a little bit harder for us to identify. So secondly, there are those who they have no problem at all or even gladly say, yes, you can speak and you can teach in Jesus' name, but they oppose the actual teachings of Jesus. That's the key word, the actual. What do I mean by this? There are people even professing Christians who are okay with you using the name Jesus as long as you are teaching their false version of Christianity. These people, professing Christians even, have a perverted understanding of Christianity. So so while they have no problem using the name, once you begin to actually teach and speak what Jesus actually said to teach, they are greatly opposed to it and deny His teaching. I mean, how often did we see this? Just go, go downtown. Go to the Pride Festival. Jesus would never do what you're doing. I'm sharing the Gospel. Like He commanded me to. Jesus would never do that. And you can quote Jesus to a person verbatim. And they say, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus does not hate. He is loving. He's affirming. You can say Jesus all day long as long as, it, as it's their perverted version of Jesus. But there's also some in this camp who, who would never tell you to speak, to not speak or teach in Jesus' name. But their expectation is that Jesus bows the knee to their teaching. So you can talk about Jesus all day long. But when the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the state begin to oppose one another, Jesus needs to be quiet. And we see this. All over the place. This is exceedingly common today. And we can think about the things that are being pushed on us by our rulers today. Things that that Jesus is, is greatly opposed to. But the expectation from our rulers is that we don't speak against these things. You can have your faith. But don't you touch these things. So we hear things like, you need to obey your children. If they tell you they are transgender, your job as a parent is to affirm them, to help them transition, to let them know it's okay. And if you don't do this as a parent, you are abusive. Don't spank your children. That's abusive. It's emotionally scarring. They'll be damaged for decades. Feminism is great. It liberates women. Male headship is abusive. Smash the patriarchy, right? This this is a good thing, right? How about your children belong to the state? The state determines how they are raised and how they are educated. It takes a village, right? Homosexuality is totally normal. And to speak against it is a hate crime. 
drag queens reading perverted books to little kids is a wonderful thing for diversity. And in case we didn't know, abortion is health care. Use my preferred pronouns or else. Giving your children a, a distinctly Christian education is, in, is indoctrination, and, and therefore it's wrong. It's immoral. Our rulers have waged war against God by waging war against biblical truth. And most of them would not say that. But in practice, they have waged war against what the Scripture clearly teach. And they are waging war against those who are truly making disciples and teaching them to actually obey all that Christ commands. Our situation is becoming increasingly similar to Peter and John's. So then here's the question. What do we do when others including rulers, tell us not to teach or speak in this name. We know, we know we are called to make disciples and teach them all that Christ commands. So, so, so what do we do when people say, don't do that? Or when people say, keep your, your faith to yourself. Keep your faith out of politics. Keep your faith out of the public square. Keep your faith out of the workplace. Also, we know that teaching others to obey all that Jesus commands means teaching things that our rulers are opposed to and teaching things that actually condemn our rulers in their sins. So what do we do when they say, you are not allowed to teach these things? You are not allowed to try to convert a homosexual. What do we do? It's not complicated at all. And here's our third heading. Obeying God above all. Peter answers this question with a question. Verse 19, But Peter and John answer them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather to God, you must judge. They're standing before religious men who are contradicting the Scriptures. And so they ask a rhetorical question. Sanhedrin, you tell me not to do this. Let me ask you a question. Should I obey you or God? Which one has more authority here? You decide. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John show us that God is to be obeyed above any and everyone else. Whenever the commands or laws or advice of man contradicts God, we are obligated to obey God, not man. Dear friends, the state is not God. Do we understand that? When the state says do something or, or don't do something that, that God says do or don't do, we obey God and not man. It's plain. It's simple. It's clear. 
And the apostles say it even clearer in chapter 5 when, when they repeat this same scenario. But this time they tell them, we must obey God rather than men. And the apostles, they weren't just saying this. They stayed true to this. Even when it was costly. And we can consider what's said in chapter 5 of Acts. Peter and John get arrested again because they're not obeying man over God. And this time they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. So they arrest them again for preaching. They hear the gospel again. And this time they threaten them again. They're told we will obey God over you again. And this time they beat them before they send them away. Then they left the presence of the council. And what they do? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Imagine that. And then every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. When they said, we cannot but speak, they, they meant it. Arrest me. Beat me. Do whatever you want. I won't stop. And if you arrest me again, I'm going to preach the gospel to you again. Just so you know. Every time you arrest me, you're hearing the gospel. And they're beaten. And the apostles go out and they rejoice that they get to suffer like their Lord and Savior. Not only did they say we must obey God above men, but we see they lived it out daily. They were going from house to house, from temple to temple, daily speaking and teaching the gospel. Dear friends, we we need to be more like these apostles, obeying God above all. Our country is increasingly trying to normalize sin and make Christians look crazy and hateful. And even evil. Which doesn't make sense from the world view, but anyways. This means that the world is becoming increasingly hostile to what we believe. I mean, if you just believe truth, if you believe there is truth, the the world is hostile against you right now, especially biblical truth. But this does not change our mission as a church. With God's help, we will remain faithful in making disciples and teaching them to obey all that Christ commands. Everything He commands. We will not change our message to be relevant and we will not change our message in fear. We will not change our message just because the world does not like it. And even when our rulers and our neighbors and our friends and our employers and and everyone else does not like it and wants us to be quiet, we will remain faithful by God's grace. And even when they threaten us by saying, don't speak or teach about Jesus or else, by God's grace, we will say we must obey God rather than man. Listen to what MacArthur says. The early believers had to be commanded to be quiet. 
while many modern ones have to be commanded to speak. Think about that. Those early Christians, you could not keep them quiet. But we have to be coerced to to speak on behalf of Christ. And MacArthur says this was an important crossroads in the history of the church. Had the apostles acquiesced to the Sanhedrin's demand, all subsequent church history would have been radically different. Everything hinged on their willingness to obey God at all cost, even their lives. Yes, we believe in a sovereign God. But we also believe that God uses the faithfulness of his people. God did not preserve Christianity through the ages in some kind of vacuum. He actually used the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs, to grow his church. He used faithful men and women standing for truth, being put to death for translating the Bible into English. Do we recognize that? God uses the faithfulness of his people. This means we must be faithful. I believe that we are also at an important crossroads in the history of the church and especially in the history of our nation. And we must think about the consequences of our obedience or disobedience in this matter. Whatever decision we make, obedience or disobedience, the consequences will be dire. Severe. And I firmly believe that much is is hinged on our willingness to be obedient in making disciples and standing for truth at all costs right here, right now in Holland, Michigan. The very purity and future of this church and many other churches is at stake. The souls of, of many unbelievers are at stake. The very future of this city is at stake. The lives of little precious babies in the womb are at stake. The future of of young boys and girls are at stake as their their bodies are being butchered and given hormones to, to make them transition into something they are not and they will have consequences for the rest of their lives. Will this continue to go on? Depends. Are we willing to stand for truth? There is much hinged upon our willingness to obey God rather than men. And may the Lord find us faithful in doing this. And may we be like the early believers who who had to be commanded to be quiet. Instead of believers who have to be commanded to speak. And let me just close on a positive note with a a bit of encouragement. Yes, the world opposes us. The world opposes God. It opposes the, the true gospel. It opposes biblical truth. But remember the words of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. 
This is what he told the other leaders who wanted to kill the apostles for preaching the gospel to them. He says, but if, if what the apostles are doing is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So yes, there are many opposing God, but notice what he said. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. A Pharisee believed that. How many Christians here believe that today? Do, do we actually believe that? Look at, look at the history of the church. Every nation trying to squeeze out Christianity, trying to persecute Christians, to kill the church and, and stop the gospel. Has it worked yet? No. We're all here. Dear friends, what if we actually believed this? If what we are doing is of God, nobody can overthrow it. Jesus has been given all authority both in heaven and on earth and he is with us to the end of this age. And do we really think that someone can overthrow what we're doing? The God who has been given all authority both in heaven and on earth says, go, do this, I'm with you. And we say, but what if it doesn't work? Let us have the faith of this Pharisee who said, if this thing is of God, don't oppose it. There's nothing you can do about it. Dear friends, let us press forward with confidence and boldness in our mission, knowing that what we are doing is truly from God. Which means there's not, there's not a ruler on earth. There's not a spiritual force out there that can overthrow what we are doing. Let us be faithful in our mission. We are promised that it cannot be stopped. What did Jesus himself say? I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, nothing can overthrow it. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you, Father, that you have given us an example of faithfulness here in Acts. Father, we need your Spirit's help to be faithful, to be bold, to be courageous, to be confident in your word. Oh, Father, help us not to have defeated attitudes. Help us not to look around us and say, what, what can we do as Christians? We're, we're hopeless, we're helpless. Help us to understand that we have a powerful gospel and a promise that the gospel shall prevail. Help us to, to believe that and to live as though we actually believe that, that if what we are doing is of you, that, that it cannot be overthrown. And help us to know that, that what we are doing is of you because you've commanded us to do this.